Welcome to the Level Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And Andre. I could not get you to stop talking. What a woman speak. Do you see what I'm saying? How to break through with your spouse, your partner. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. How did you handle this? The man's kind of got it good. I feel like you're getting off on a little bit of soapbox. This is me rolling my eyes. This is really great. I really... Rolling. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And over the next two years, we are interviewing 100 couples on this topic. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? And today's interview is one that is really special. I have, honestly, I was really looking forward to this one. Do you want to introduce who we're going to learn from today? Yeah, so today we are interviewing Scott and Vic Harrison. Scott and Vic Harrison both co-founded Charity Water, and Scott just recently released a book called Thirst, and it is a New York Times bestseller. And then Vic is now starting her own company called The Branded Startup, and you can check her out at thebrandedstartup.com. They have an incredible story. We both read the book, and it's really incredible. I mean, I read that book in a weekend. It was so good. It was good. So, um, yeah, we probably will give, we'll give away definitely a couple of books just by sharing it and commenting online after this, this podcast. I want you to, I wanted to share three things that I think were unique about this podcast. The first one was Vic's perspective on what it's like to be attracted to your boss. Oh boy. So there's that. <laughs> Secondly, Oh, their son, who is only in it, I think they said in his first year had 20 flights. Or 20, with, 20 flights in 20 his first year of life. in his first year. And the third thing that I thought was kind of cool is they refer to their first child as charity water, which in this context... It's their baby. Yeah, it's their baby. In this context, when we talk about purpose and, and being a part of change of the world, I mean, I think that's a reality of a lot of the startup projects we, we talk yep. about, but we haven't ever heard anyone say it quite like that. Yeah. So while you're listening to this interview, I think you have to realize like they're, they're New Yorkers, right? They're sitting in their apartment in New York City. There's construction happening around them. You'll hear pounding. You'll hear ambulance going by. This is the reality of doing work in the city, right? That's right. So sorry about the sound. Here they are, Vic <laughs> and Scott Harrison. All right. So first of all, let's start with how you fell in love. And really, we actually kind of want to hear Vic's side of the story, because in the book, Scott, we read all about your version. But we have a feeling that there's another side of the story. So I had left a world of marketing and advertising in New York City, and I was looking for more meaning in my life. Uh, I just um, kind of Left college, started immediately working in the in the advertising industry in New York. It was super glamorous for about two years until I realized that I was selling a bunch of stuff to people they don't really need and fueling sort of mass overconsumption. And right around that time, I remember ta- uh, talking to a friend of mine who was a next door neighbor in, in New York City uh, about this, about my sort of struggle with uh, here I am in this new career that I thought I always wanted, and I'm incredibly unhappy. And um, he said, you should meet my friend Scott, who uh, just got back from living in Africa for two years. He's, uh, he's starting this charity to help people get, get clean water around the world. And I said, uh, what do you mean there's people that don't have clean water in the world? <laughs> I had no idea. Right. And so, but I was, I was at this time in my life really looking to to do something meaningful after uh, being sort of so disenchanted with this world of advertising. 
And I was trying to volunteer at a soup kitchen in New York City and do things here and there after work to make myself kind of feel better about my job. And and, it, and this introduction came at a perfect time. So I meet Scott. I, I, a week later, my friend kind of tells me, okay, Scott's doing this outdoor exhibition in New York City. Why don't you come and volunteer? So I was excited about that. I come and sort of shake Scott's hand and then for 10 hours don't see him I think for the rest of the day because he's busy, he's running around, all of his friends are there stopping by. And I'm just this little volunteer. He kind of gives me this water t-shirt to put on. So I'm sort of on the outskirts of this exhibition talking to to people on the street about what we do, even though I I, I I had no idea. idea. You're like, all of a sudden I'm a representative. It was a word doc, I think, with a bunch of facts about the water (laughs) crisis. Yeah. And... At the end of that long, I mean, it was it was sort of the best day of uh, that I could remember in a really long time because I, for the first time, felt that I was actually part of something meaningful and I was I was making a difference, uh, unlike the feeling I would have in my long days at work every single day. So uh, at the end of that long day, Scott, I, I think I was one of the last volunteers to to stick around, and he came up to me and said, um, "Hey, you know, you, you've been here all day." How, What's your name? <laughs> and I said, I'm Vic. I said, I'm Vic, and uh, I see that you're trying to really emphasize design, and you ca- it looks like you really care about design and uh, and the brand of this of this new organization. You know, I'm a designer, I'm a graphic designer, and if you want, I can I can help on nights and weekends uh, after my my job. And he said, Oh, that's so cool. What's your number? So he takes my number, and I think this guy's never going to call me. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's really busy. And of course, the next day I'm walking home from work, my phone rings and it's Scott. And he says, hey, how can I get you involved? Let's, uh, let's chat. Can you want to come over? Yeah, he said, let's talk. Let's, let, why don't you come over and we can talk about how we can get you involved. So we make an, we make an appointment for, I think, the next day. And he um, gives me the address, where to go. So I'm thinking I'm going to an office of some sort of this new nonprofit because there was a lot of people at this outdoor thing and it looked pretty well-established, and as I get to the address the next day, it's on Spring Street in, in Soho, and I realize it's an apartment building, a pretty old one, and with, like, a rickety two flights of stairs that I climb up, and I ring the doorbell, and I walk into his ex-micro promoter's apartment, where he's basically squatting at the time. Okay, the drug den. Yeah. Oh, my. Yep, the drug dealer, and... It's a total bachelor pad, like, you know, dishes in the sink, like raggedy old furniture. And he sits me down on this super kind of weird, dirty couch, and he gives, he opens up his laptop. And, of course, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is such a bad idea. Like, this guy's going to try and hit on me. This guy's creepy. <laughs> yeah, I'm in this guy's apartment, you know. And, but then, but he opens up his laptop and gives me his sort of 200 slide presentation about Africa and the tumors and the mercy ship. And he wins me over in about an hour and a half and I'm crying and he's, uh, he's kind of got me for life at that point. I'm like, okay, where do I sign up? I'll come every single night after work. And, you know, he just seemed really passionate. So at this point, you, were you thinking I'm like a lifelong volunteer or were you like, you were in, you wanted to work here, quit your job, all the things. Yeah. So at this point, I'm still thinking, I just want to, I just want to come by after work because this guy doesn't have any money to pay me, but I want to help him in, in, in any way I can. So I just start showing up every day after work. So I leave work at 
six by 36, I would walk down to Soho and I would open up my laptop in his crappy kitchen and we would work until midnight. We would drink wine and cook pasta and sometimes his nightclub promoter, uh, ex-nightclub partner would come in uh, at 11 wanting to do coke on the coffee table and he'd kick us out and we'd run around the to a, to a coffee shop to continue working. So how did you guys eventually fall in love? It was it just all the hours working together and all the time spent together, or how did that kind of happen? It was actually pretty different for both of us. So I had the classic love at first sight situation. So that time in the apartment when I was hoping he wouldn't hit on me, I was kind of also like, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought when I first met him, I sort of had that feeling of, you know, uh, wait, have I seen you before? You look really familiar. Have you, you know that feeling when you sort of think, uh, wow, this person almost looks like family or something. Mm-hmm. So I, it was definitely love at first sight for me, but I also was incredibly inspired by his story and his passion to change the world, which is exactly, you know, what I was lacking. So then it was a long year of being in love with my boss from then on out and him not, who was oblivious. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so in the book, Scott, you share about this one night that it came, you know, if, if you realized what was going on and you had left and then come, can you walk us through that night? Yeah, I mean, I, I love spending time with Vic and, you know, we, we were doing really great work together. She was the last to leave. So we were just spending an extraordinary amount of time together and I so valued good design, but I couldn't do it. You know, so I, I could kind of, I had, I think I had good taste. So I knew what it would look like, and then Vic would execute, you know, even better than I'd imagined. Hmm. And, you know, I just, I wasn't dating at the time. I mean, this was, there was, it's, it's funny when she, the question you asked, you know, when she came in, did she think she was, you know, going to work for the organization? I mean, there was no organization. You know, there, there was yeah. just like a guy on the couch sleeping on a closet floor, running around with a laptop showing pictures that hoping, you know, people might give me money and, and that our 501c3 might be approved. Right. So yeah. there, there was no, you know, I, I feel like for that first period of time, it was just sheer will and 80 to 100 hour weeks just to try to get the thing to live, um, to even make sure there was a thing, like th- that we would even have a first employee, you know, that I would ever be able to be paid, that this thing would even be viable. So that was just requiring, you know, all of my, all of my energy, you know, all my passion and, I think I just had that, uh, that revelation, you know, I, I, of course, like the best friend really helped my, my buddy, Matt, um, who one night was like, listen, you know, you got this amazing girl and she, you know, she loves God. She wants to serve the poor, you know, what, uh, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, I, I thought, well, well, you're right. And I do love spending time with Vic and, and she, she is in and she's beautiful. And maybe I should go and ask her if she ever thought of, of us getting together. So, you know, I creepily go back into the office at midnight and I mean, I guess it wasn't free because we were always in the office at midnight <laughs> and I have this awkward conversation where I sit down next to her and say, you know, have you ever thought of us? You know, dot, dot, dot. And then wait. And from what I remember, she says, yes. <laughs> I love it. It was, it was about 15 minutes of extreme awkwardness. And yeah, it was a lot of awkwardness. I remember exactly what we said in those 15 minutes, but then we kissed and walked out holding hands. And you remember uh, that part. 
I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that part too. I and love there was it. no, you know, and, and that's why I, I was really excited for the book to be able to tell it, you know, in its um, in long form because there was no organization. It wasn't like she was dating her boss. There were just a bunch of people sitting around doing this thing together. Well, hold on. I mean, so this was over the course of a year because it, it took us a year from the day we met to the day we that he came in the office and told me he loved me. So that th- at that point, we had had about 15 people working in our new office. So when we got engaged, when we no no when when you we were at Varick Street. So when we first met, we were still on your couch. Then. Six months later, we got our first office. We had about three, four employees, then five, six employees, then some volunteers. So there were about 10 or 12 people in this new office. And I remember thinking, because there was about seven or eight girls, I remember thinking, everybody's got to be in love with Scott. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this is going to be awful because Compl- You were sizing them up. <laughs> Uh, you know when you like somebody, you think everybody else does right. too. Right. Yes. It's total competition. So, of course, and he's the charismatic founder, and all these other girls are the same age as myself, and they're all single, and they're all new to New York City. You know, joining Charity Water, so passionate. I'm thinking everybody's in love with Scott. This is going to be like a something about Mary situation where. Oh my God. He's either. <laughs> He's going to, we're going to announce to everybody that we're dating and then it's going to be just a tornado of broken hearts. But it was nothing like that. People were all super excited for us and all the girls were like, oh yeah, he's, he's great, but not for us. So good for you. <laughs> so, but eventually, I mean, you did end up being, I mean, even when you're married, after you got married and all the things, so you dated, got married and all that, but you stayed working together. So how was that for you all? I mean, was it a true, like, did, was it a boss situation or was it a partnership where you two were the kind of lead? I know you, you talk later about, you know, being co-founders of this together. So how did that work out between you two? So it was definitely a boss situation. He was always my, uh, he was always my boss. I was always his employee. So you know, in the in the beginning, for the entire time that I was at Charity Water, we did not call ourselves co-founders. In fact, we sort of gave me the honorary co-founder title when I left the organization three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But he was so, your boss. Yeah, it was kind of convenient, Scott, yeah, when she's seriously, gone. Yeah, seriously, Scott. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always did. I never felt like I started Charity Water. It was always Scott's idea. And I came in on the ground floor and worked really hard and really closely with him. So... Yeah, we. I was at first. The, my title was graphic designer. Then it was creative director. Then I had a team. Then I was the vice president of creative. So it was a bunch of things. But uh, I, essentially, I was on the leadership team at Charity Water, and my peers were the other leaders of the other departments. So the water program, the the COO, the finance, right? So so we all reported to Scott, and there was about six or eight of us at any given time reporting to Scott. So did that ever cause conflict in your relationship? Yeah, let's see. I think sometimes, but also it was, it's just because, you know, because he was my boss before we started dating, Mm -hmm. it it wasn't ever the situation where perhaps someone hires their already girlfriend or wife, and then that dynamic has to dramatically change, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden your sort of partner at home has now become your boss at work. He was always my boss, and before he became my partner at home, he was my boss. So 
it was easier, I think, to do it that way. I also think, you know, from my perspective, Vic never wanted my job. Yeah. There was no part of her that wanted to be out there fundraising every single day, making speeches, you know, the, the pressure, the stress, leading an executive team, hiring, recruiting. That was not something she, she wanted. I mean, you know, every once in a while she'd say, like, I don't know how you do that. Like, <laughs> that sounds miserable. Some of these, some of these role responsibilities. Um, she was she was really a creative. Um, she then grew into a leader of the creative team and learned how to recruit great talent, uh, inspire, and, and really get exceptional work out of the people on her team to, to lead a team and, and lead a, a creative department. But I think there was enough difference in both our roles and the things that we wanted to do. I could never do her job either. Yeah. So th- there was there was enough separation. I think you know sometimes when. I don't know. There, there could, it didn't feel like there was ever jealousy, at least. Like Vic never wanted to be, <laughs> yeah. let's say, go recruit a CFO and then onboard and deal with um, the board of directors and the, the audit committee and all this kind of stuff that I just, I've always had to deal with over the years. She was, she was a creative visionary. Hey, Scott, I have a question for you. Um, I mean, when you share your story in the book, it's amazing about your past and kind of prior to doing Charity Water, you know, the, the backstory is pretty unique. I'm curious, like, it's, it's interesting how it played a role really both in a positive way for launching into Charity Water. You had all these connections. You had to change their perspective on so many things. But I'm also curious, like, how that played a role for you guys in your relationship. I think has that past been a challenging part of, you know, you guys just moving forward in your relationship? Well, Vic had a very similar path. And in fact, we think that we were at the same club at least 10 times. Wow. So, so, so she would come to the same club that I was working at. Now, there'd be a thousand people in there, so we never remember meeting. But her, her path, you know, was... Um, yeah, I started going to nightclubs at 16 years yeah, old with a fake ID. So. It would be almost as racy as mine. Maybe, we maybe a little less similar. edgy, but, but um, yeah, that, that was never... <laughs> That was never an issue. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I she was, almost... She was, I, no, I, she was not a good Catholic I, school I, girl. I, I, <laughs> I wish I could have met the old Scott, and I uh, I never got to, sadly, but I really kind of wish I had at least once or twice in my, uh, in my nights out and about. <laughs> so I'm going to fast forward ahead. Um, there was a moment when you guys had children. You have two kids now, I, th- I think, two kids. Yep. Where you guys had to process, okay, Vic's going to leave the team, which she was part of the team really from those first early years, how did you guys process that together? I mean, that had to be a difficult transition. She's like, you know, she was part of the whole thing for so long and she still is today, I'm sure in many ways, but how did you guys process that? I can start. I mean, this was at a time of, I think, burnout for both of us. You know, we'd, we'd been both at it this, you know, me nine and a half years, her nine years. And it was just really hard. It felt like we were, you know, pushing the boulder up a higher hill every single year and then you end the year and the boulder drops all the way back to the bottom and you just have to keep doing it over again and and we retired and uh you know vic i I mean i I write about in the book you know i I was i was ready to quit too or at least reinvent my role you know hire a ceo move aside and do something easier to be quite frankly uh, at, at, at the organization you know chief innovation officer or you know, let me let me be the speaker in the fundraiser and not actually have to deal with the whole thing, the weight of the whole thing. So I think 
you know, when we were both going through this and discussing what was next for each of us professionally, personally, what was next for the family, my biggest fear at the time, we'd only known a relationship where we worked together. Mm. So I had a, I had a fear of the unknown, you know, would our relationship suffer if we weren't together, you know, working in the same office, seeing each other, you know, going out to lunch. And I was really afraid of, you know, this, feeling of FOMO, that I would not any longer be a part of the day-to-day. I wouldn't get to make decisions. Uh, The organization would move on and grow without me, and I would be home, you know, cleaning diapers. And he would get to go into work and have exciting days at Charity Water where cool things happened, like they always do, and I would get, uh, I would miss out on that. So that was the fear for me. For me, basically, I had, we had taken, we'd both taken a month off in January of, what year was it? 2014, 2014, 15, actually. Uh, so our son had just, had been born. He was about a year old, and we, uh, so I had already been only going to work three days a week at the time. After he was born, I had decided I was going to stay home with him twice a week. And that truly became very challenging to run a team who was here in the office full time while their boss, myself, was in the office only three days. And so I was sort of already thinking, and then I get, I get, I get news that I'm pregnant with Emma, our second, while we're on this kind of month-long retreat. And, and during that month, we both promised ourselves that we would make a decision. What he, for Scott, the decision would be, do I come back in my current role or do I come back in a slightly different role? And for me, the decision after this month off would be, do I come back at all? And uh, if I do, I better, you know, come back really excited. So things have been, it, things have just been hard for about a year. We've had our first kind of down year, uh, fundraising-wise, and um, that's never repeated since, thankfully. But, yeah, so I decided after that month, okay, I think it's time, I think it's time for me to move on. And um, and I did have those fears that I talked about right where I'd be missing out on a lot. But it's, it's been so great. I mean, i got to say that I've never, I've only felt incredibly excited about things happening at Charity Water, even though I'm not a part of it anymore. And I've sort of found my own little thing that I want to do again, which was great. For, for a little while there, it was, it was confusing, and I was doing long, long days at home with the little kids, like just calling Scott on, on the verge of a nervous breakdown because the kids are throwing things or yelling or... Fighting over the, the two sippy cups that they both have. And I would be like... <laughs> so pissed and jealous that he gets to go in in an office and interact with adults and put pants on and I'm <laughs> just like on. in my pajamas all day with these little kids for 10 hours a day going out of my mind thinking like I used to be an adult I used to have real conversations with people and look at my life now <laughs> so that is interesting I mean I think a lot of times I think you, you get, I think you even mentioned this in your book a little bit about how work was kind of your identity. How has that evolved, especially since you had to leave, Vic? Absolutely. I mean, it's always going to, Cherry Water is always going to be my first child with Scott. That's kind of how we talk about it. So it's always going to be part of my identity, and I'm very proud of what I did here. And really, I was able to feel good about leaving because I had built a strong creative team and a culture where everybody... From from the the first day a, a new employee starts here, they understand that design and creativity is the most is one of the most important things of charity water. And um, anyway, so that's that made it a lot easier. And so I think my identity now is 
of course, it's, it's being a mom to the kids and, and et cetera, but I think I still really am passionate about helping create amazing brands going forward. So I'm, I'm starting to think about how to do that with other mission-driven organizations and companies and businesses and startups. Love it. So something new is coming, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, she's being modest. Share um, about that. Let's talk about it. We should promote this for you, Vic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been working on something called the Branded Startup, which really she wants to teach a lot of the things that, you know, that she, I guess, and I have both learned, you know, for a decade of building Charity Water um, and getting to interact with some other really amazing mission-driven, you know, values-based brands uh, as well. So. Uh, that that's one project that she's working on, and she's also doing um, a little bit of consulting, you know, for for a couple of mission-driven organizations on on how to build that that culture of excellence, that culture that desi- that that values design and storytelling, and you know, it, I think we're surprised at how many some of this stuff just feels so basic to us, and we're surprised by how many people you know they're hearing it for the first time. Thanks, honey. You just gave my whole pitch for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what partners are for. Anyway, right? so I'll, I'll uh, the proud husband will plug it. TheBrandedStartup.com. <laughs> Sign up on the email list, and she's going to be putting out some really great content uh, in the months to come. So I want to I want to jump in on that because right now, I mean, like this month, you're launching this book, Scott, and I have a feeling. At like for this, I mean, you know, who knows how long the media and touring will go with that, but not forever, hopefully, I'm sure. I'm curious, Vic, like both of you guys, you're in a season where I'm guessing you kind of have to go, Scott, go do your thing. And then maybe on the back end of this, it's Scott, you have to kind of go, Vic, go launch this new brand. How are you guys kind of processing this season? How has it been for both of you in relation to your family? Right. Yeah, this has been, it's been very challenging because uh, the timing just kind of worked out where right as Scott has, we've always known he had this book launch plan during the month of October, but I uh, also have been working on the branded startup for about eight months and uh, got basically my first client, which is a startup in Austin and I took it on and now I'm flying to Austin twice a month and working 30 hours a week at the same time that Scott is. Traveling on a 15 city book tour. Traveling on a 15 city book tour. <laughs> thank, thank God for grandma. Oh so goodness. we've been leaning super hard on my amazing grandma who watches our kids, and it it's been I it, it felt a little scary, honestly, to sort of especially when both of us have to travel and there are two three days of overlap where both and not both Scott and I are gone. And there are these, like, you know, conversations of, okay, Emma's school has asked for more diapers, and Jackson's school needs this book project completed while we're gone, and who's chaperoning the next pre-K trip? And at the same time, we're both traveling, so I have to sort of tell my grandmother where things are, and that's been, that's been a little scary for me to, for the first time ever, be traveling at the same time as he is, and sort of, our kids are just running around without parents, it feels like sometimes... Yeah, and for me, it means, you know, the, the painful red eyes to take him, you know, straight back to take him to school on four hours sleep. And a, a previous day where I made four speeches and had three meetings. Yeah. So we're just, we're kind of, uh, we're just making it work. You know, I'm, I go to Nashville today, I go to London for the week, then I'll get on, you know, a super early flight home so that I can pick him up from school. I'm going to have the weekend free. And, but, you know, yeah. 
it's a, we're, we're making it work, but it's, it's challenging. I, yeah, I, and I just want to, you know, I think this, many working couples with kids listen to this. I, I know this about myself that I definitely, uh, I, need to, I need to have an identity outside of my kids uh, and outside of just being a mom. That's, that's what I feel uh, like I absolutely need in my life. And not everyone's wired like that. I have plenty of wonderful friends who love to parent their kids full time and do all the school activities. And I just knew this about myself when I had kids. I knew that I wanted kids, but I also knew that I couldn't, um, I would never be happy just being a full-time mom. Not just, I shouldn't say just. It is a very hard job. In fact, I think, I think I'm sort of, I'm wimpy because I can't handle the full 10-hour days with my kids at home. I need, I think part of my need to have a job is just to get away from them, you know? <laughs> I, the I, same I, way. I just, same way. Yeah. I'm a better mom when I'm a little bit away from you. Absolutely. We also it's have about two very strong willed children. It's about for me it's about quality and definitely not quantity because the quantity makes me it makes me sometimes want to run away screaming from my kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, you know, I mean I I I want my kids to be a happy mom, even if it's a little less often than to see a, a mom who is stressed and unfulfilled for ten hours a day. Right. Kind of how I think about it. I have a, you, uh, a different perspective. You guys are raising your kids. I'm sure you talk about this or think about it a lot. Um, on one hand, Scott and Vic, you guys have had these meetings with, I mean, large donors that are supporting the work of Charity Water. You get in there to interact with very influential people all over our society. And then on the complete flip side, you're serving some of the poorest communities in the world, right? So on one day, you're with maybe some of the, the most wealthy people in the world. And then on the, you know, the next day it's all for the sake of these other people that, and, and, and a lot of times for me and Andre, we always talk about that these two people need to know each other. They need to have interaction that they both benefit from relationship. But I'm curious as you guys start raising your kids, I know they're young still, how is this going to like shape how you raise your kids and the worldview you're trying to shape within them? Have you guys talked much about that? Yeah, we have. I mean, I have such a vision for introducing both of my children to the work that I've been at now for almost a decade and a half. Um, that started out just by flying them a lot. So my son did 20 flights his first year of life. Oh, wow. I had him, now he's four, so now he's just doing speech flights with me. So we flew just the two of us to Boston last Saturday. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had to go to Atlanta for 24 hours, so I put him on a plane with me down and back. Um, I haven't taken him to Ethiopia yet because it's about 28 hours of coach flying. Um, with a four-year-old, there are not enough movies on the plane that can, <laughs> that can help me survive that at the moment with, with mine, at least in my mind. And I want him to really, you know, remember that, that experience. But, you know, five, six, he's going to be coming to Ethiopia, to Malawi, to India, to Bangladesh, Cambodia. You know, he's going to be seeing... Uh, our work around the world. And then when his, his daughter, or when my daughter is a little older, you know, I want to take her on these trips as well and just expose them immediately. I mean, look, we live in Battery Park City in New York City. I mean, we, we have a, a small apartment and, you know, we drive a Kia Sorento, but my kids are, are kind of in a bubble. You know, I mean, we're, we're not wealthy, but we are compared to certainly the, the billion people that we're actively serving as an organization. And you know, the, the sooner I can connect them to the 
unfairness, the injustice, the uh, the work that, that we're really that we've, we've given our lives to, at least that I've given my the rest of my life to, it's, it's really meaningful for me. I want to add to that um, in relation for Andre and I, this past Christmas season. I don't know if I told you this, Scott, but as we've been teaching our kids about giving and saving and spending money and just the value of money, that last year they saved their money all year, and at the end of the year we gave to Charity Water, and it, it ended up being like a really cool experience for us to kind of teach our kids that they could give to something that had a direct impact on people's lives. We were able to watch video, like we literally sat around the, the computer screen, watch videos and they, it, it became real to them. Thank you. Yeah. You're thank you. We, we should be saying thank you actually. <laughs> I'd love for you to share how, how kids and cause I think there's a lot of parents here that are trying, they care, like they have a purpose focus. That's a lot of what reason why they listen to this podcast. They have a purpose focus in life. They want to pass that on to their kids. And you've seen families that have engaged charity water from a family perspective, sometimes driven by the kids, just share a couple stories of how, how this could be a, a way to teach generosity to your family. Well, you guys know we do this birthday thing so we did this past year with Jackson and he turned four and we have a small apartment we can't physically fit much more stuff in it and so we asked all of his friends who came to his party to donate to charity water and the parents appreciated that a lot so that's been a huge thing a campaign that a lot of kids have have done uh, all across America and other countries on behalf of charity water and we've seen some beautiful beautiful stories where the kids get really into it um, and it's, it, I think the kids are a little bit older than Jackson, probably some, some seven-year-olds, some nine-year-olds, yeah. but they really get it at that age. They really start to get that it, it feels good, honestly, to to be not just about yourself and what you can get. Our son is still very much like, wait a minute, I'm not going to get any presents. I don't think I like this idea. <laughs> so we're really, you know, we're really at the moment, we're, t- we're He's just learned the word selfish, I think, this week. We, we said to Buddy, do you know what selfish means? Okay, well, let us explain it to you because he's, he just turned four, so he's still kind of coming out of the yeah. toddler phase, and the two-year-old doesn't get anything yet, so she's sure she yeah, But, yeah, it's, it's, about, it's about that time for us where we're going to start to really talk about these things with them. Yeah, and then I get to work with kids, you know, all around the world and speak at schools, you know, sometimes elementary schools. Um, a recent story... You know, I, I, I was with a, you know, a long-term donor family uh, with a couple of young kids, and I wound up um, jumping, catching a ride on their plane back somewhere. And I had their three kids, and, you know, I'm like, you know what? Even though they're, they're like two, two, four, and six. So, uh, you know, I thought, why don't I put together a presentation for, for all three of the kids and really talk about their, their whole family's involvement in our work now for about a decade. And... You know, I obviously took out the rock and roll nightlife part of the story. So <laughs> you didn't talk about cocaine with the kids. Okay, good. <laughs> I didn't talk about cocaine or nightclubs. I was a, I was, I was an event planner. <laughs> I, I, I threw, you know, I threw parties, and and it was just a, it was an amazing experience. They they sat there with full attention for about twenty five minutes, and when I got to the end, I started showing them pictures of their wells. So their parents, as each of them had been born, had done birth campaigns. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's an idea that I just love. And we are, just by way of privilege, welcoming our children into a world where they're never going to have to drink dirty water. So they are one of the ten. They're, they're, they're in the nine out of ten, right? right? One out of ten kids 
today are being welcomed into a world where unless we do something about it, they're never going to have clean water. Right. So th- these, these kids all had, um, the two-year-old had wells uh, and, and different various water projects with her name on it. And I kind of got to the end of the project and said, look, you know, because you guys were born, you know, your family and your loved ones and your parents, they all came around and kids are drinking clean water because of you. And they got it. And it was just, it was so beautiful um, that the parents she said something really cool to wrote me. Yeah, the parents mm-hmm. wrote me a week later and the two-year-old was, was just clearly articulating the charity water mission, saying there are kids around the world drinking dirty water and, you know, we can help them and we are helping them. Mm-hmm. And it was just so cute. And, and you know, the parents said that the, the kids understood, they, they came into the issue by way of fairness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, but we, we hear that from our kids. It's not fair. It's mm-hmm. not fair. Well, I think if we can direct that, maybe that sense of not fair to <laughs> many of the problems we see around us. You know, it's not fair that a child was born in Ethiopia who has to walk six hours for water, you know, mm-hmm. from a dirty, contaminated source and, and can't go to school. That's not fair. Instead of, it's not fair that my sister has a bigger cookie than I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you can talk to them about fairness in a different way. And, uh, yeah. Also, I, I want to add, I just thought of this. Jackson now, I mean, if we have, if I leave the tap running in the kitchen, he'll say, Mommy, you're wasting water consistently mm. to me. Mm. And uh, so he gets that part, which is cool. That's great. Well, so you know that the question we're going to ask you, which is the question we ask all our couples and partners on this uh, podcast is, do you think, is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? And we'd love both your inputs on that. I'll start. I, I think we are living proof it's possible. We will be, ten, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary next year. And um, we are, we're still, I, I would say, just as in love with our first year of marriage. And uh, the kids, the kids put a little bit of a, of a of a damper on that in the in the early years. <laughs> the lack of sleep, the lack of showering, the you know all that. The lack but of pants, apparently. The lack the of PJs. pants. Yeah. <laughs> the lack of pants. But I would say that the work we did at Charity Water has done nothing but bring us closer, and has done nothing but create more meaning in our relationship. There's a quote that. Um, I think I did a little bit ago. It was, uh, I can't remember who said it, but it says that um, love isn't defined by gazing at each other, but it's about gazing together in the same direction with purpose. And that's really what we feel like we've done. You know, we, we probably would have been fighting about all the wrong things in our relationship had we not had a huge sense of purpose and mission that we had to accomplish, right? So just just that alone, knowing that we have a job to do, uh, has really made us focus on the right things and just kind of let everything else go that's petty and silly that couples often, I think, have conflict over. Uh, so for us, it's really absolutely enhanced our relationship to, to have the mission of Charity Water in our lives. Yeah, and that's, that's well said. I guess the only thing I would add is Yes, having done this work together for almost a decade, you know, working with people now in 26 countries around the world, you know, traveling together. I mean, Vic's been to Ethiopia at least 10, 10 12 times. Um, we've, we've really seen a lot. 
I think that helps us. It really helps us with the materialism, you know, in our, our in the way that we look about uh, think about money. I mean, we don't want the big house in the Hamptons. You know, we're not trying to go drive a Mercedes. We want to take care of our family. We want to take care of our parents and grandparents. And then we want to give. You know, we want to actually be able to give generously to some of the other social entrepreneurs that we're supporting or mentoring. And, you know, that's actually countercultural to a lot of the people that we spend time with. You know, that it's about accumulation. It's bigger houses. It's bigger cars. You know, it, it's, it's the bank account growing and growing. Or it's the pushing your children to go to the best schools and... Yeah, the status of the schools. The, right. Take all the hard tests and study and get tutors. Yeah, for, I we think had this conversation last that. night, you know, at, at midnight. We were lying around in bed. The kids went to sleep and we were just talking about what we want for our kids. And we really care who they are. I mean, we care so much around values, who they are as people their social skills, the way that they treat others, that's, that's more important to us maybe than the, you know, the academic rigor, you know, the gifted and talented track, and, and that, they, that they would have Im- impact on the world. They would have a positive impact uh, on others. You know, I want my kids to be actively looking to end suffering around the world and, you know, as they grow up, using their time and their resources and the privilege that they were born into to find, you know, new and... and hopefully unique ways to do that through their creativity. Love it. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I think it's so important for people to hear this. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm on a personal level. I absolutely love the book. It's been fun to watch your journey in a distance and Scott, I've loosely known you and for, I don't know how long we've connected over multiple different times, but I like really respect both of you. And I think you guys are making I mean, like even right now, I'm sure today is hard, sick kid, and you're traveling and all like and your friend, all that stuff is challenging. But I really respect how you guys are living, and I think it's a really good testimony of what you guys are trying to be and who you're trying to be, and it's going to transcend into your kids in amazing ways. Thanks. Thank Thanks. you. We appreciate that's, that. That's, we'll yeah. receive that, Vic, and good luck with your new business and. <laughs> You're like, ah. Yeah, I need it. I know. Thanks so much, you guys. And now it's time for the breakdown. Yes, that was so good. I First, I just want to say I found that quote that uh, Vic was talking about. And it is found in the book, The Little Prince. And it says, love does not consist of gazing at each other, but in looking outward together in the same direction. Hmm. I thought that was so good. Yeah, that I mean, when she started sharing that, I was thinking, this could be like something we should have on our wall to remind ourselves to be thinking about. And it, it really is a unifier. That purpose is a unifier and not something that separates us. And it's it's so true to their story. I mean, you know, co-founding Charity Water together and just from the ground up doing it together. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, Scott being oblivious to Vic for so long because he was looking forward. He was so focused, I know. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Okay, one thing that really stuck with me is uh, their direction of fairness in educating their kids. And I just thought about that even for us, our kids right now, they're battling on all kinds of stuff. They're in that age. seriously on that fairness and, stage. Yeah, and like re, kind of re-educating them on what it, looking at fairness in a broader context, I guess. Yeah, I mean the privilege that they have just from being born in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, guess what? It is unfair just to not be born 
in the United States for some people. And I think even talking about that is so important. Yeah. What about you? Um, you know, I really connected with Vic a lot in her talking about trying to find an identity or realizing that she needed to find an identity outside of having kids. And I think women struggle with that a lot in terms of, you know, when you have kids, you feel like, oh no, I'm a mom and this should be my number one priority. And this should be all that I do and think about and all of that. And I think she was talking, I mean, I loved how she was just saying that she also wanted her kids to see her happy Mm. and see her as a happy mom too. And for that to exist, she needed to work. (laughs) Yeah. I think we were talking to them at a really interesting time though. I mean, they're, they're in, in the crazy season right now, right? Where they are in the crazy. He's touring and she's starting this new gig and, and I know there's listeners today that are in that crazy moment in life. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that as they were talking, like when, we, when, when we've been in those moments, how we have to kind of stop and look at each other and take a moment and reprioritize and rethink, just making sure we're on the same page. And I'm sure we're there's some other... We're on the same team. And that we're on the same team, yeah. Reminding each other of that, yeah. Yeah, it takes, it takes those moments to kind of you know, reset in the midst of it. Even when you have to keep going, it's like, okay, are we both okay? Let's take a deep breath. Let's move on. I also wrote down this when she was talking about, you know, that transition from charity water into having the kids and, and deciding that that season was going to be done for her and her fear of missing out. I, I could relate with that. I remember when you, when we first started plywood, you were on our board and there was a moment where you're like, on one hand, you're like, I'm done with this. On the other hand, you're like, am I done with this? You know, like mm-hmm. trying to figure out what your role was in relationship with this third party in our that's always in our relationship. Yeah. Who was going to challenge you in our board <laughs> meetings? I mean, that's come on. That's never been a problem, uh, let's be honest. But I was gone. So then I didn't know who was going to fill my role. <laughs> <laughs> it's been filled. <laughs> You're so happy about that, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just thankful they they were able to spend time with us in the midst of their busy season and and share with our community. And please, please, please get the book Thirst. It is really amazing, inspiring. It really is kind of his whole story of how it began to now, and it's just, my goodness, it leaves you feeling like you can change the world. And for us and our family, I mean, we shared a little bit on the podcast, but. Giving to Charity Water has been really educational for our kids, and it kind of unified us all together around something bigger than some TV show and some new movie and some gift at Christmas. It it transformed things for us and got our kids thinking about generosity. So I'd encourage you, maybe maybe this is something you could do with your family also. Yes. So go to CharityWater.com to check that out, and then also check out TheBrandedStartup.com. Thanks again for listening to the Love Work Podcast. We'll see you next week. 